Think of it as another industrial revolution. So in the first industrial revolution 200 years ago, you know, people were chipping away with hammers and then we introduced mining tools and things like that. And the, the blue collar workers became white collar workers because they understood the business of mining and then, and then ran it. In this case, we're talking about knowledge workers, i.e. you use your brain. It's not a physical job that you do. So we're saying, let's take a knowledge worker that is doing something that is mind-numbingly boring and get a robot to do that. Hello and welcome to That Tech Show, the show that reveals the magicians behind the magic that is everyday technology. And we welcome you into our hearts, just as you welcome us into your ear sockets. First up, before we give you a little sneak peek into today's guest, we're excited to announce that That Tech Show Live is in the works with our old friends, Footprint Digital. And all we'll say at this point is that if you're in London or are willing to travel and you'd like to take part, then head on over to thattech.show where you'll see a bright yellow banner uh, with a link on it. Just click on that and uh, fill in the details and, and that will let us know that you're interested in either attending the event or being part of the show. And we'll follow up with some more kind of details as, as it progresses. But just know that tech show live sometime in August and uh, it's very exciting. Plans, hey, plans afoot. Indeed. <laughs> well, with that out of the way, who do we have on the show today? Well, this week we have uh, Neil Parker from LIE. I think I got that one right. Uh, <laughs> he's here to tell us all about their AIIA tool. It's <laughs> <laughs> a mouthful. That is uh, intelligent automation using artificial intelligence. So I kind of flipped it around there. But we get into uh, what the tool is, LIA, and how chatbots and IA are being used to empower customer service and provide new jobs for those that would effectively get displaced by such a tool. Uh, we talk about the saturated market of chatbots and how automation will inevitably take over the world. And we also casually dip into the fact that Neil took a startup from a garage to uh, a $10 million organization. Just casually. Yeah, just casually. Well, that sounds good enough to dive right into. So I think off we go. Off we go. My name is Neil Parker. I'm the general manager of LIA, uh, an intelligent automation company in the EMEA region. I've been here for about eight months. Uh, nine months ago, I'd never heard of LIA. Now we are some 40 people in the EMEA region, in the UK, Germany, France, Spain, uh, the Nordic region, and uh, the UAE so far. And uh, we haven't stopped. So for us then, what is LIE? <laughs> and how, how, how am I pronouncing it right? How do I pronounce it? Perfectly, LIE. Did I get it? Good. Yeah, good, absolutely. Good. First time. <laughs> it's interesting because a lot of people sort of say, lay. Um, but yeah, LIE <laughs> is, the, is the correct pronunciation. So it's, it's actually a massive day today for LIA in our in our corporate history, because the business has been going for about seven years. Originally founded in China, eighteen months ago, decided to, you know, build a, a global business off the back of their domestic Chinese business. So we're announcing today that we have acquired a company called Mindsay, who were are a leading European enterprise chatbot and voicebot platform. This replaces our own conversational AI chatbot and gives us further language support. In fact, it supports 100 languages, which supports our international expansion, obviously, whereas our previous product was really in Chinese and in English. It brings with it 40 referenceable customers in the travel and transport and e-commerce sector and brings for our clients a powerful low-code, no-code technology platform to automate customer service and back-office processes. So when you put that with our AI platform, our robotic, robotic process automation and document processing, it, it's an incredible kind of world-beating platform. Wow. So that'll be interesting to see what happens as you bring those thing, two things together. But what's the, what's the elevator pitch for LIA? Did I get it right again? Yeah, you have it absolutely right. <laughs> well, I thought it might have just been a fluke the first time around. Sorry. No, no, it, it's lie. You just take two with um, two with food twice a day. Uh, right. So we we are basically what is known as an intelligent automation company. Uh, what that means is, by Gartner's kind of definition, is there are three parts to intelligent automation. There is um, RPA or robotic process automation which has been around in the in the UK for about five years. 
And that's about enabling, in effect, the mimicking of human behavior on a computer where it's a repetitive task, which might be, you know, paying invoices, uh, sifting emails to look for customer service challenges, but those kind of things. And we can talk some more in detail if you're interested later on that. Intelligent data processing, which means the ingesting of unstructured data from multiple sources, whether it's paper documents, digital documents, pictures, etc. Um, and then thirdly, the chatbot element. When you put those together, that becomes intelligent automation, or as some people are now calling it, hyper automation. And the main, the short answer is, it's RPA with artificial intelligence. And that's what brings the power to our platform that is built on natural language processing, i.e. the computer can understand how we speak, the context of what we're saying, and deal with providing an answer. Um, and machine learning, which means it uses patterns to self-learn and improve when you develop an application with this technology. Speaking of applications, what what is the sort of main application of this then? Who's who's using it, and how are they how are they make taking advantage of it at the moment? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. It, it, it's relevant for every business in every market, if I'm honest. And it really because it comes down to the scale of the business. So if you were, let's say, five people in your own SME business, one of you did the accounts, one of you does marketing, etc. It, it's probably not a solution for that kind of business. If you're a business that has, say, ten people in accounts, then we can probably redeploy eight of them onto something else in your business and use the software robots to emulate and, and deliver what was a repetitive process for a human. So what it means is you don't get um, mistakes that humans make, such as typing the numbers the wrong way around on an invoice when they're creating it, or having a cigarette break or having a hangover. You know, the robots don't suffer from any of that, so they're very efficient which means you get higher levels of compliance, you can process things much faster, and therefore your cost of delivery goes down and your customer service, for example, goes up. So it's, it's very beneficial. Um, one of the things that LIA does in this case is we'll actually invest with the customer in redeploying those people into something else within that business because they would have a value to the business. Um, a lot of companies focus on well, remove the people, that's what will pay for the software. We, we don't take that approach. It's, it's a big point, actually, because what we've seen is um, a lot of the, our competitors that have been in the market for a long time will use, let's replace that group of people to pay for the software, and then those people get to go home, and that's basically it. And we, we looked at this and thought, actually, we, we, because we come from an Asian background, the global economics apply, which means... Asian workers are much cheaper than American or UK workers. So an insurance claims clerk in China would probably earn £10,000 a year. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, whereas somebody in the UK would probably earn £80,000 a year doing that job. And so when you look at those economics, we've built a business not using the people-driven ROI, but using the business benefit ROI to create you know, the, the commercial environment that the customers need to buy this software. Is this, um, so I, I'm just trying to get this right. This isn't a public facing tool, something like, I know there's quite an intercom. Intercom is the one I'm thinking of is, is a public facing chatbot S type of thing. This is, a, this is more of a B2B solution. Is that correct? Um, no, not really. It's, um, it's, it's a bit, it's a B2C and B2B. So for example, the, the mindset chatbot that I mentioned you know, Iberia Express Airlines use it to enhance the customer experience through their call center using a chatbot rather than, you know, your number 99 in the queue, please hold, press three for a piece of information that isn't really what you want. They're more, <laughs> um, you know, uh, frequently asked question chatbots. So, for example, Voyage Privé, the holiday company, use uh, the chatbot in seven languages to deal with customer inquiries and to book holidays. You know, and it's that kind of thing. So, for example, because the AI in our chatbot, you can actually have a conversation with it, which might be something like, I'd like to reinsure my car. So it would understand that you meant that. Or you could say, reinsure my car. Or you could say, car insurance upgrade. And it would understand, rather than click one for to, to renew your car insurance, click two. And um, therefore, it's a, a more immersive experience 
not quite VR as you were talking about earlier, but <laughs> that could come. So, for example, in Dubai Airport, they have holograms that are chatbots. And so a hologram of a person, you can walk up to and say, is this my gate? Do you know where the flight to London is? And it will talk to you based on this kind of technology. So that's just one, one example. Um, but generally, it's used where uh, things like we did a deal with um, Nike that processes all of their returns. So you get your trainers, and when you return them, you talk to the chatbot, it creates the payment back to you, for example. Or uh, there's another example with another retailer where you, know, you log in and it says, hi, Chris, how are you getting on with the trainers you bought? Are they, are they comfortable? Would you like some more? And you say, actually, I'm here to buy them. Shows you, what, what else have you got? And it will show you what's in stock, show you all the colors, show you a video of the trainers. We say Mo Farah running. And, and then process the order. So if you think about that, it's linking all those different systems together through a, a chatbot uh, that you can either type to or, or talk to. And it's quite incredible, really. Hence, the applications to these things are unlimited. Absolutely. I was reminded recently of, and you mentioned, you know, talk to, I was reminded recently of that Google innovation. I think it was maybe last year where they demonstrated a phone call. I think they ordered a pizza or some, or they called a restaurant or something, but it was the B Google AI bot that called a restaurant. I think they made a reservation and the other, the person on the other end of the phone did not didn't have a clue now morally whether you think that's okay or, or whatever it, it is by the by but is that something that your your tool doesn't or, or that you're exploring or that you have any kind of thoughts about yeah i mean you could absolutely an interesting application for it i mean another example of a chatbot would be something like the technology could be used in a driverless car that you get in and you talk to the car take me home or i mean a lot of sat navs work that way today I mean, it's a very light example, but where we've really seen it drive value, uh, mainly around e-commerce. So, you know, you, you either through your keyboard or through your voice order something or have a query with a supplier that you're dealing with through to replacing um, all of the repetitive questions that maybe a customer service agent might deal with. So I was talking to somebody the other day and they said, I deal with a thousand queries a day before the chatbot and I don't get through all of them. Now, the chatbot deals with 800 of them because they're regular questions. Is my flight on time? Which gate is it? That kind of stuff. What's my luggage allowance? And you don't need a human to do that. The chatbot can do that. But you could say, I'm disabled. I need specialist help to get on the aircraft. And it would then go to a person who would have empathy with the situation and talk to you. And you'd feel, as a customer, you'd feel like you've been looked after. So. Many of these automations are what you call attended, which means at a certain point, the robot stops and a human interaction happens, which could be a complex customer service case. It could be something to do with a loan application or approving payments or all those sorts of things where you think, oh, do I really want to automate that end to end? You know, the, the access to my bank, sending money to people. Now, you could do that because robots don't make mistakes. So... You know, that, that's, but it's, it depends on how all in you are when you do these applications. What sort of level of fluidity are you getting in the chatbots at the moment? Be, I mean, obviously, you know, you talk about the difference between the police press one to, you know, do this sort of thing. Are the robots actually passing the Turing test at this point? Is, is it sort of to the point where you're kind of feeling like, is this a human? Is this a robot? Or are we, because there's, there's a real range of things that are out there in terms of the, the quality. Yeah, I mean, so for, for example, where chatbots are particularly good, I know, for example, at Christmas, my wife bought loads of stuff off Amazon, which most people did, and then returned half of it because she didn't like it or the color. It wasn't what she thought. Yeah, I'm very familiar with that experience. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think it's a COVID-driven thing. And we probably will get interrupted by Amazon and one of us anyway at this point. Um, but, you know, I, I returned something. So I, scan, I scanned it at home with a QR code. And I had to take it to the post office. That was the manual bit. But by the time I scanned it, the money was in my account. I mean, that's automation. So, you know, if my phone went ping. Oh, look, the money's there. Not the we keep it for seven days and then send it to you when we can be bothered, which is a kind of historical view. So, yeah, that, that's just one example. But, I mean, the, the product set that we have and there's a solution set is so much broader. 
the chatbot is just one way of interacting with the AI and the technology. Well, it's a front end, isn't it? So naturally, we always sort of, you know, it, we, we tend to talk to, uh, talk about these things, not on this show, but as humans, like that's the one thing that you're interacting with all of the time. Like the fact that you scan a QR code and the money ends up in your bank account. That's one of those things that's such a such a normal operation that you kind of take that sort of thing for granted. And there's a lot of stuff that we talk about in technology that's like that, you know, oh, that's happened. That's just now normal that it's that fast. And actually the things that are slow are going to be the things I'm annoyed about now. Well, absolutely, because you now, I think we're now conditioned that if we want to buy something, we want it now. I want it now, this, you know, within the hour or at least this day, even if it's six o'clock at night, you know, I mean, our expectations are now real time. I know I spoke to a company the other day and it was a traditional chatbot. You know, it's an insurance company. And you sit in the queue. You're number 12 in the queue. And you sit there and you sit there and they have that horrible out-of-tune music that they subject you to just as a further punishment and for cancelling your insurance or something. But, yeah, and that could, I, I, I will be contacting them to say, you need a chatbot, you really do, <laughs> because that was awful. <laughs> Um, and it's that kind of thing. But I mean, when you look at the broader technology and the capability of artificial intelligence to better the outcome for the for the customer, it, that's where it really starts to play into the value. And, you know, we, we see end to end processes in our customers where, you know, they've really improved the lives of the staff, the, the, the value to the customer and made the businesses more sticky and grown their revenues as a result. Yeah, because you mentioned uh, in the intro that you were giving us there, RPA. Yes. Do you want to just cover off what's what's RPA? Just unpack that. Yeah, so RPA stands for Robotic Process Automation. So if you imagine it is a, it's not a Terminator type robot, it's a software robot. So no red glowing eyes under your bed or anything like that. But it's a, it's a software robot that literally records your keystrokes, your mouse movements in, in its simplest form. So, for example, you know, we were just setting up the, the Zen product on here. A software robot could have done that from one click. Or it may be, here's a great example of RPA. There's some legislation in the insurance sector that today affects the US and is coming over here, where insurance companies need to know proactively who has died for, and, and that informs then how they deal with the claim. And the legislation means that the insurance companies have to be proactive in contacting you and saying, we understand Uncle Bob's died. He's left $100,000 in his estate. Would you like some financial advice? Now, that's great for the family because they don't have to make that awful call. And obviously a human is making the call. But where RPA comes in is it scours the death register every hour so that the, the large insurance company knows in advance and then they can decide how they deal with that, and it goes into then a process. Um, and the upside for the insurance company is a customer service is better, but b they get to sell them financial services, and and that's why it's important to them. And for the family, you know, oh, actually we're not sitting here mourning having to think about that kind of stuff. Another example would be um, we have a customer called Wythe, who are a part of Nestle that deliver baby milk, baby formula milk. Now, they get 10,000 incoming emails a day from mothers that are, oh my God, can I give my baby this stuff? You know, it's a highly stressful time in a, in a young mother's time with a new baby. We put in some automation, which changed the response time on the email to like three minutes from typically three hours. And also it had human kind of intervention if, the, if, if that still wasn't enough. So it then escalated that and their customer satisfaction rating went off the chart. And now they have thousands of very happy and you know, connected customers and it worked very well for them. So that's one example. And why is, it, why is it a good example? Well, because of AI, AI can understand and access everything about babies and the issues with milk and the chemicals around it so that they, it can answer every single question that you could ever do. A human could never keep that in their head. Or they'd say, hang on, I'll just go on Google and check it for you. So it's much better, it's much faster, and it, it really helped those um, ladies that needed the information. Just before we go on, for our developer listeners that are listening, as far as we know, Uncle Bob hasn't died. Because uh, <laughs> Uncle Bob is a, uh, is, is a bit of a hero in the tech world, <laughs> as it happens. <laughs> 
but in the in the example just replace uncle with whoever whoever else you want to uh, you want to replace it with <laughs> sorry to disrupt that neil uncle bob martin is name <laughs> uncle bob martin is a, is a bit of a tech hero um, oh okay but I in but in the um, in in the formula example, though, that's really interesting because that the amount of data that you would need to have available to you, because this sounds to me like a a frequently asked questions on steroids that you can respond to, right? So you can you can almost query the frequently asked questions, and it's going to give you a response back within a few minutes. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. So how do you get all of that data together, and how do you train it? How do you train the AI to make sure that it's able to give you back the right sort of data as and when you require it okay so you use um machine machine learning which basically will read all the data that you offer up to the system and then it will self-learn the patterns in there and as the more emails it reads and the more answers it gives it, it learns and gets better and faster and faster and faster and it can ingest you know an infinite amount of data so if i'm a new customer i want to work with with you guys what data do you need to kind of get going? Yes, you can plug into real-time email exchanges, but from a retrospective aspect, how do we how do we get up to speed and and your system starting to work with for me? Okay, so let, let's give you a great example in that space. So using our intelligent data um, processing solution, which is an AI-driven product on our platform, let's say you wanted to automatically process your invoices from all your suppliers. Those invoices would then go into your account system. The software robot, the RPA, would process them within the account system and move them through to payments, raise the payments and make the payments or send it, it would go up to a human, i.e. attended, and the human would sign off that and then it would make the payments. The first part of the journey, we would teach the IDP um, instance which data fields or which areas of an invoice were important. So we'd use a drag and drop tool to highlight the date, the supplier name or supplier number, the amount, the product, the quantity, all the the things that when we would look at an invoice ourselves as a human, you'd say, okay, who's it from? Is it for something we sold them? Is the amount right? Uh, what was the supplier number? All the things you'd need to go into the account system. And then it would it would learn where those bits of information were by scanning maybe 10 or 100 if they're particularly complex invoices and then it would learn it and it would know and then it would continue it would just run the process you, you mentioned earlier you've been with the company what eight months so how long how long do you did it take for them to develop this this technology because it sounds like there must have been quite a lot that's gone into like training those algorithms initially and making sure that they're going to work in the in the, in the right sort of way before you're feeding them with date with specific data. Well, don't forget we've been going for seven years, and the founders of the business are uh, PhDs in AI. Right. So did it, did it come out of their PhD work? Yes. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So the first, so we've got two two Chinese founders that are educated in the states. So they went off to. I think it was um, Princeton, and uh, apologise, I don't remember the other one. But they they then founded a company that used AI to predict what sort of films you would like to watch, a bit like a very early love film or Netflix. So, well, as a former love filmer myself, I I know that in in, in detail. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they they built the um, using AI, which one of the key functions of AI is recommending. Um, so it analyzes data. And then make it, it creates categories, it creates segments, and 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 creates knowledge about an individual or any other thing it's looking at, and then would recommend based on that that you know on a Tuesday you like a good kind of war film, and on a Thursday you know you like a rom com, and recommend them as they become available, or any other kind of recommending, and that's a particular AI function. So they built that business, and they sold it and then formed LIA and took the AI platform that they built. And the initial application was the chatbot, because that, again, was a human interaction recommending type solution. And they built it off that and then created RPA and then the intelligent data processing piece. See, that, that makes a lot of sense to me, because I think the first exposure that I had to that sort of interaction was through recommendations actually at love film as you mentioned so doing love film through into the amazon prime video as it evolved 
and again there's there's many contact uh, contacts people i i know actually people we've had on the show like patrick Pladju, who's one of the, our early episodes um created his own recommendations platform and i think that was and he come from a natural language processing background and that had led into ai so it, i think it's a quite a standard route to go actually going from from recommendations into ai that's a natural natural progression yeah and and so i know i drunk the lie kool-aid but over the last uh, <laughs> nine months, I, I've really got to understand the market. And you look at it, and it's growing at such a rate. I think when I first looked at this six, six, seven, eight months ago, the market was predicted to be 200 billion in intelligent automation by the end of 2025. I read something the other day that it was 800 billion. And this market is just running. There is a, such a long runway because the application of this technology is limited by your appetite and imagination basically yeah i think that makes total sense i mean i think that people are leaning into it more and more i mean i've interacted with some chatbots for example recently where i've been kind of questioning whether they are a human or they are a chatbot i always try to think about that but yeah i've been interacting with some humans recently on chat that i was wasn't 100 sure they were genuinely human <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but if you did a mind-bendingly boring job every single day for years, you know, I mean, you must get, to, they must get to the point, these people in, you know, thousand seat customer service centers where, you know, they're just brain dead because it's so boring. Now that can be replaced very easily and very simply by software robots. And then because they understand the business they work in, they can be redeployed and into something more interesting or you know and, and i think that's the key is actually still remembering they are people and giving them something new that will re-energize them well we only just touched on that before didn't we the uh the, the redeploying side of things because i think that's a really nice thing so is is that the do you see that as the key differentiator for Laie? the main differentiators for Laie, i mean we're we're second to the market if you like in in emir which means we can look at the legacy vendors and say, how do we do it better? How do we make it different? Uh, and, and actually genuinely, you know, we're incredibly well-funded. When I joined the business, I was asked to write a plan for Amir. And then I was told, do that with unlimited budget and then give them $50 million to, pay, to execute the plan. That's a hell of a budget. It is a hell of a budget. But what it means is we can do things at pace we can hire the world's best people, but more importantly, we don't have to do things the way they were always done. And so what part of our, our logo is do better, be better. And we generally mean that. And that goes right through the culture of the company top to bottom. So in terms of differentiation, our pricing model is, is different to the main competition. You know, we're probably 25% cheaper than them. Um, our model is based on AI, whereas they have an RPA tool and they've added, almost in a Frankenstein-type way, other products they've acquired and stuck on the side, whereas we've developed ours from the ground up. They don't typically have out-of-the-box AI models, which have already been trained and built previously and then and then reused. But the main things are about the, the people, I think, and, and that is the retraining of the sort of displaced staff. We will do flexible outcome-based licensing rather than you need three of those, four of these, and six of those. We'll say, okay, let's look at your process that you want to automate and improve. What's the value of that? Let's agree a way of delivering it within a commercial framework that actually delivers that, and let's share the risk. And we take that a stage further, we'll actually guarantee the outcome. Now, that's pretty much unheard of. Yeah, a software company guaranteeing the outcome. So if you've already invested in this technology, with somebody else and you're not exactly happy with the return on investment you got, we can migrate you and embrace your technology. We will guarantee the outcome of the project we, we go on together that journey. And then we'll license it in such a way that shares the risk and actually charges you for the value, not a group of products. And that, that is groundbreaking, game-changing differentiation. That's interesting in terms of like how you how you're monetizing, I suppose, um, in in the sense that you know you're you're guaranteeing the the uh, the, the success because I think there's it's felt to me like there's been some appetite in the business world to to do 
stuff that's more like that. People have been tentatively talking about doing that sort of stuff, but I don't, I haven't heard men that many that have actually executed that. No, I mean, it's very, very rare. I mean, in the intelligent automation space, we are the only company, I believe, that offers that. And we've only just started doing it because we believe that it's about value. You want to create a long-term relationship with the customer and take them on a journey. Whereas the traditional software selling is all about how much software can we get through the door of that company and hope that they use it. What we're saying is let's do the let's do a low-hanging fruit type product project and automate your procurement to pay system, for example. Okay, now let's look at what other things we can do given we've built trust. And let's do something a bit more ambitious where we might need to guarantee the outcome. We'll do it together. What's the upside for LIA? Well, if you're guaranteeing it, it can't be competitive. If you're guaranteeing it, there wouldn't possibly be a proof of concept. There wouldn't need to be because you're guaranteeing the outcome, which means we work with customers in a much, a very different way. Interesting. So you mentioned the Emir region. So are we talking, is that, am I getting my geography right? Are we talking Arabic region? Is that? We're talking Europe, Middle East and Africa. Europe, Middle East and Africa. Right. Yeah. So North and South Africa, sub and uh, below the Sahara. So places like Dubai, Saudi Arabia in the Middle East, and then all the Europe. The only place we don't work is Russia. This is because the company is obviously founded in China. It's a slowly, slowly a move west. Uh, no, we've gone big bang to be quite honest. So early part of last year, we opened an office in Singapore as our international headquarters. So we've got the domestic China business, and then our international business is HQ'd in Singapore. And we deployed a team. We built that up. We also deployed in Latin America, and surprisingly enough, we're now in North America, which for a Chinese software company is unusual and and fairly unique because of China's relationship with America, sadly. And we started the Amir business. So in July last year, I was person number one. And now we are some 40 people in Amir in multiple countries, and we'll end up being about 70 by the end of this year. And our international businesses will be about 200. So, so what, what, talk to me about your role. What, what, what's your role in, in the company? Obviously, start being employee number one in Amir and then building it up. But what's, what's, what, let's go through your background. What, what's led you to this and your particular role here? Um, I suppose in reverse order, a bit of luck got me to this. And <laughs> I, I, I am truly living my best life, actually, because I go further back from that. I wanted to get into the RPA or, or the AI space. And, and, and what I found was that my background had been in cloud mainly, cloud infrastructure, infrastructure automation, i.e. software that allowed you to build servers. And I, I had my own business for 10 years where we built um, what we called real-time automation, which built servers based on capacity demand for investment banks. Um, and we did really well with that. And then we did professional services. But I was, I've been in sales and marketing for a long time. A, a recruitment guy called me, and the truth is actually asking me, did I know anybody that might be interested in this company, a Chinese intelligent automation company? And I said, well, actually, I would. And I met I met Lai. I met the CEO of the international business. We clicked. And they wanted somebody that could build something from scratch. And I built a um, £10 million business out of my garage previously. Not, not like Hewlett Packard out of their garage. wasn't that successful, but a reasonable business that I'd exited. And um, they really liked that, you know, street fighting, entrepreneurial, you know, you know what to do and you've got a network of people you can bring in. So they asked me to write the plan that I mentioned earlier. And uh, my role now as general manager is really all, all of the functions in the business, sales, uh, our SME sales, our business development, marketing, pre-sales. Now, these go into global functions, but the responsibility is there. And ultimately, I'm responsible for the people and the number and the customer satisfaction. So it sounds like you've got both the uh, the, the, the corporate background there, but also the scrappy startup background from starting a <laughs> yes. business from 10 million. So I think we, we, can't, we definitely can't skip over someone who's uh, started a business from their garage and taken it to 10 million before selling it. So talk to us about that. <laughs> Well, I mean, I uh, I worked for a, a US software company, and prior to that, I worked for a big reseller in the UK called Computer Center, where I built 150 million business within four years 
uh, in a new division of that company. And I kind of had a taste for it there. I went to a US software company, was lucky enough to double the business. Then I thought, actually, I need to go for this myself. And um, started bringing in hardware that was real edge hardware from Israel or the States and selling it to investment banks. So we were those people that had the stuff you'd never heard of. So what sort of area are we talking? We're talking now about, uh, so early 2000s through to about 2017. Yeah, I, I, I have a passion for technology, but I also like to find things that people haven't seen or heard of. And so we were bringing stuff into the UK and Europe and, and selling that quite successfully. And what we did was a lot of companies were putting a toe in the water. Uh, and so we said, look, we'll do that for you. So we'll, we'll staff it with a couple of sales guys and techies. We'll be the sole people to sell it. And we, we'd run with them for a couple of years and then they'd set up themselves. And, and that's how it kind of grew. We did a lot of work with outsourcers in the, in the cloud professional services space. So yeah, it's, uh, it's been an interesting journey, I have to say, but my role's always been, whether I was a CEO or whatever, as uh, I, I'm involved in the sales side. I like customers and I like, I like deals. Um, whether they're 5,000 or 5 million, they still feel great to me. Yeah. So, I mean, do you think it's opportunistic of the time that you were able to go to, to, to the Middle East, essentially find you know, technology that wasn't available uh, in the West and then be able to resell it? You probably couldn't do that now, right, with the, the, the way that everything is on the cloud? Not, not as much because companies are a lot more global now than they were 15 years ago or 10 years ago. And the other thing is also it's very expensive for those companies to set up in Europe. You know, Euro European sales, pre-sales is a very competitive market. And, you know, people are expensive and won't move unless they really can see the opportunity. We've been very lucky, actually, with LIA because we've had people, really, really good people from our competition, sort of trackers and then come and see us and say, I want to be involved in that. It's like the next version of what I'm doing today. I could see the innovation. I could see the energy. You know, we're pre-IPO, so that's attractive to people. And um, they've all been successful in the time that they've been here, which sometimes is mainly only three months in many cases. So, you know, we're doing something right. Um, but I think it's really because the technology is so strong and the market's appetite for automation, for dealing with unstructured data. And also one really important thing we can do is, um, which we don't really talk about much, I don't know why, is you can use RPA to connect with systems that perhaps don't have open APIs. So let's say you had a mainframe with some key data, but the thing's 20 years old, you know, you've got to keep it because of that. We can log into it by emulating the human who probably is retired now and take the data out and move it to a, a new system in the cloud. And those kind of processes, which somebody like Johnson Johnson is, uh, one of our customers, extends the life of that machine and drives further return on investment and it's a massively easy thing to do but the technology wasn't there to do it previously is that technology proprietary then to you or do you you know use other systems or whatever that 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 scraping because um in the web world we use something like cypress which is you know it, it emulates interaction i think it's in a browser specifically but i guess this is more more high level than that or it, it's similar it's similar i mean the, the principles are the same yeah i mean i mean really i suppose the first automation would have been macros in your spreadsheet where you re record a set of actions and and data extracts so then you, every day you come in and say what's our stock position you press the button and it does those things and pops out a spreadsheet that's the base most basic thing and it's just because it's gone beyond that um now and people have developed technology around RPA, and there are hundreds of vendors in that space. That's kind of legacy first step. The intelligent automation, which is when you include the AI piece, is where the market is going. But yeah, I mean, there's one other thing I didn't mention, the, the community developers that we have. So we've got 600,000 community developers. So these are everything from students to software developers who create RPA code, they create out of the box, you know, AI flows uh, and machine learning um, algorithms. And we help them monetize that through a bot store. So if you're a customer that's established this technology and you think, I wonder if there's a process for logging sick days, you can go there and somebody will have developed that. Or you can say, 
I need to develop this process and you can almost outsource it and they'll bid for the work and things like that. So it's, it's a really enabled thing that sits alongside our technology. Are you fostering that community or is that? We're fostering it. Wow, that's really great. So we, we foster it by giving them community additions of the software free of charge. We offer certification to the same level of our own engineers free of charge. So when we in, in, uh, enable partners, not just to resell the technology, a lot of them are implementation partners. They will go and do that uh, certification free of charge, and then we will outsource work to them uh, because you know, we're a software company, ultimately. Uh, that's our core business. I'm, I'm not sure um, at what point you uh, joined LIA in its maturity and, and its growth, but how long would you say it takes to grow confident in its ability to just answer questions correctly and not frustrate people? Um, is that is there a lot of testing that goes into this system before you then you roll it out? Yeah, very much so, very much so. But it, it takes a lot. It's it's difficult really because it takes as long as it takes. But it's not it's not like years. I mean, we built a intelligent printing solution, which is a different use for RPA for a retailer in the Middle East that processed thousands of e-commerce orders a day. And their model is they print out the orders through all these different printers. And it took us a weekend to build the use case to do the POC. And they they saw off, you know, 14 other vendors who couldn't deliver it in the either deliver it quickly but deliver the actual execution as quickly we were 50 percent faster in the running of the application than our competition so we, we got the business where it's a complex idp in you know data extraction model let's say in a new language that probably takes a few months but to be honest we've got some very smart data scientists and um language machine language specialists and natural language processing specialists one of our pre-sales guys translated the use of the product into portuguese in a weekend so you know if you if you know what you're doing you can do it but we're very much about enabling the customers encouraging them to do the certifications and working with them to get them self-sufficient through maybe as i mentioned earlier a center of excellence uh, and having a sort of you know symbiotic relationship with them where we, we help them really derive the maximum value out of the AI side of things, because sometimes people are a bit skeptical or, or wary of that. Speaking of which, you know, you're you're a China-based company. Are there any hurdles to that? Obviously, with preconceptions of Chinese governments and uh, of their their collecting data and things like that, is that causing any issues? Are you, you know, is that something you just don't get involved with? Or, or? yeah, it's it's a great question and. Um, you know, you probably would expect a defensive answer, but there isn't one because we we host our... All right, so very short story. Before I joined the company, I did a bit of due diligence, and that was the main question I was concerned about. You know, are we going to be pushing water uphill here? I went to speak to the CIO of a National Health Service uh, Trust, so public sector, which, given we're Chinese, would be the most difficult sector to crack. And she said to me, I'm going to ask you two questions. One... Where is my data going to sit? Where's the application sit? And we either deliver it on-prem or in Microsoft's cloud, in Azure, in, in Europe, in, in the UK, in Germany, wherever, wherever it needs to be. That gives you two things. One, all the confidence that you're dealing with, you know, the Microsoft platform is delivering and hosting the software. Uh, two, GDPR, which is key. Three, data sovereignty, i.e. your data is not leaving the domicile where you create it. So uh, the second question was, okay, let's look at support. Where's that coming from? That must be China, right? You're only new here. We have high-level engineers now in the UK that can deal with support, and we also have a new R&D centre in Paris. So again, within the realms of GDPR, your, um, your data isn't being then sent to China for a level five engineer to you know fix it as it were fix the problem so our european customers our EMEA customers can be absolutely confident that we will be dealing with them their data will stay within where the area it should so china now for us is obviously a, a large region of our international business in effect that's how we kind of view it i mean if you take it further i'm talking to you on my apple mac where where was that built china you know, and I don't, I don't think they're drilling into the back of it and looking at my data at any time. You know, China makes great technology. 
they will be a, the, the main leading force in intelligent automation, i.e. through LIA, but also artificial intelligence themselves. And that's just a fact of life that's what's happening. So the geopolitics side is something that we probably don't get into that often because customers are satisfied with the first answer, which was the data sovereignty and GDPR more than anything. Mm-hmm. And when just just to, for my own knowledge, when when you say my data, in my mind I've got two data models in my in my head. One, it's it's my emails, it's my invoices, it's my processes, my inputs basically to your system, and then it's the machine learning aspect. I'm 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 assuming that creates its own set of data. Yes, it does. Is that then stored on my own systems, or is that you know? Yeah, either either on premise or on premise, we say, um, in your data center or in your private cloud, or we will provide it sit, sitting on the LIA cloud, which is Azure. Yeah, I see. See, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you are storing and creating your your own data, whether it be on your own Azure platform or or, or mine. There's an option there. Yeah. So the, if you think about it, the the machine, the the, the application we've developed, the platform, sits on Azure, and within that, there would be AI models. They sit there that we've created, and the processing of your data, and emails was a great example, that are driven through your exchange system, and then we connect to that. So no, it doesn't go beyond the Azure installation within this geography. So in terms of resource allocation, then, it really feels like AI, you know, we've got this, what we what we described as a front-end um, application, being just the chatbot itself, but really the bread and butter here is the AI. It's the it's the algorithms that are happening behind the scenes. How much effort and resources are going into developing and improving the AI versus you know these kind of front end applications? Like, do, do you consider yourself an artificial intelligence company, or do you consider yourself like a, a chatbot company? If that makes sense? No, no, no. We we are creating practical applications of AI. So, for example, there's a, a friend, a friend of mine's the CRO at a company called Rainbird. Rainbird have a black box version of how they deliver AI that takes data and, and recommends decisions based on that. And it's sold typically to um, investment companies or mortgage companies that, where there's a credit assessment done. And then, and then the AI makes a recommendation and then it goes to a human who either says computer says no or stamps it and approves it based on his or her opinion of that outcome. You know, we, we built, and this is a big difference about LIA, we, we built an AI platform and then we said, okay, how can we use that to really power robotic process automation, document processing, and, and a cognitive chatbot, which is how we'd refer to it. And then it's about, you know, how do you apply that to the changing context, circumstances and scenarios with any given customer? TikTok, as an example, they split off their recommendation algorithm, their the AI algorithms. They they've created these sister companies that are kind of owned by TikTok, and they they lease out or I don't know what the what the operation model is there. But Alia selling the AI as well as the the cognitive chatbot that you said. Are you selling those as kind of like a package? And if I was to buy from you, I get both of them? Or do you sell just the AI and then I can build my system using your um, recommendation or AI stuff? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. Um, no, it, it's embedded in there. Yeah, I mean, if you bought a, a BMW that the sat-nav was bought, built in it, you, you don't buy the sat-nav separately and then start constructing a car. So in this instance, we use AI the machine learning and natural language processing. We've got some analytics capability as well, where we do process mining, which is how we analyze your business processes and then make recommendations as to what could be automated or not. Um, so no, it, come, it comes as a solution and you can buy all of it or part of it. And we've got pricing models that are easy, easy to understand and allow customers to go all in or on a, on a journey across the platform, typically starting with either a chatbot or the RPA piece, and then very quickly seeing the power of the IDP side and saying, well, actually, we've got a hell, a hell of a lot of unstructured data. If we could only use that for decision support um, you know, and other things to drive their business, then they, they, they got that. 
I mean, if you look in, say, healthcare, for example, you know, this technology can be used to get value and, and drive value into patient records or supplier management, you know, dealing with thousands of suppliers and how you then settle those invoices, returns, contracts, billing. You know, I mean, if you think about it, the NHS has half as many patients of private sector which need invoicing. You've got consultants that do private work and NHS work. They need to be paid differently. But also simple things like automating the discharge of a patient. There are about five, I think there's five processes that a nurse has to drive all manually, all by writing on bits of paper. Still, I mean, it's it's crazy. Whereas a software robot would say, oh, Mr. Jones is ready for discharge. Let's get the consultant's notes that go to the GP. Let's book them a taxi. Let's make sure that, you know, all their stuff, you know, that they get out of the bed at the right time. We put them in a suitable place. It, it's all of those kind of things. And again, the the, the examples are just, endless and every day i hear of new use cases you think oh that's clever i hadn't thought of that and it just evolves and evolves and evolves yeah i mean the way i look at these tools you mention a lot around it um replacing jobs these repetitive jobs whatever and on the you've got one side of the camp who would consider you know oh they're taking our job all this kind of stuff but i i look at it the same way i think you look at it of just like what i, what I think it does it opens up us to be more creative more productive it allows humans to apply what they're good at you know uh, and have these have these bots take up you know the the monotony so it's, i see i personally see it as an opportunity there's probably going to be very some very divisive opinions on how bots are taking over the world but you know yeah i think of it as another industrial revolution so in the first industrial revolution 200 years ago you know people were chipping away with hammers and then we introduced mining tools and things like that. And the, the blue collar workers became white collar workers because they understood the business of mining and then and then ran it. In this case, we're talking about knowledge workers, i.e. you use your brain. It's not a physical job that you do. So we're saying, let's take a knowledge worker that is doing something that is mind-numbingly boring um, and get a robot to do that. Why not? You know, you don't hold your toast in front of the fire. You use a toaster. In effect, it's a kind of robot that heats up bread for you. Um, you know, there's a million anecdotes, and I, I like anecdotes so, or analogies. But the, the key thing here, I mean, there's one of our competitors. They, they were advertising, I saw, do you hate your job? Come talk to us about how you might automate it. I mean, I think that's an interesting approach, um, not one we take. But it, that opportunity is to look at a company and just say, you know, where do you draw the line? And also, as technology, particularly things like automated vehicles, progresses, I mean, there's an example that I was talking about the day at keynote I did. In the States, there are something like a million too few truck drivers. Now, they're introducing autonomous vehicles, so the career headroom is like three years, and then there'll be no truck drivers. And in the interim, they're going to have people in call centers that can log into an autonomous truck, check stuff out, or if the weather gets bad, and actually drive it remotely, a bit like the Army or the, sorry, the Air Force use drones and fly them to places all over the world and, you know, deploy what they do. So the all these things are evolving. But the one, the one debate, which we probably haven't got enough hours in the day or enough beers to debate, is around certain types of AI where there are ethical considerations. And, and the one that I often think about is autonomous cars. So let's see, you're in the car and you're driving down the road and there is a lorry skidding around in front of you. And there's a child on a bike on the pavement and there's some people at the bus stop. So that, that car's got to make a decision. Does it kill you? Does it hit the lorry and hope for the best? Does it hit the child? Does it hit the people at the bus stop? It, it's only got one of those options. It can't go into reverse and get out of the way. So that's the side of AI that I think everybody worries about. This is a bit simpler than this. This is, can we process your invoices? And, and nobody gets hurt. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned at the top of the show about your new acquisition. So is there a new, is there a future direction for the, for the acquisition now that we know more about LAE and you're going to bring it together with this new acquisition? What's the, what's the future? Yeah. I mean, what the acquisition brings for us is, is a number of amazing benefits. And that is, 
it, so we already had a chatbot that we built ourselves right back at the beginning, you know, after the love film thing. Um, what this brings to us is the ability to rapidly deal, rapidly integrate it with our own platform. And that'll be done in a matter of weeks, not, not years. So we can use our chatbot, which is Chinese and English in the China market, because it's still a good product. And for the rest of the world, we now can provide support for a hundred languages, which we could have never done. It would have taken years to rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. So it gave us that. It gave us in EMEA 40 referenceable customers. So places like, um, you know, Wizz Air uh, in Hungary, Val d'Isère skiing, uh, LNER trains. I mean, in fact, we're bidding on a, a large train company at the moment that takes trains to Belgium and France, but I don't see why I mentioned who they are. And it's 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 that capability. Plus, we wanted to build a business in France, and English companies find that difficult. Now we have 30 people in France, and we wanted to move engineering from China to an R&D center in, in Europe. So this gives us that as well. So there are lots and lots of benefits for both companies. It was a great cultural fit, and um, you know it, it also opens up another channel to market in that specific chatbot area where perhaps customers have got RPA from somebody else. We can now go to them and say, we've got a chatbot that will work in your environment, or we can embrace your RPA into our platform, and then you get to use the chatbot and the RDP as well. So it, it's it's a, it's a next phase, to be honest, or a next wave. And they, they were very strong in travel and transport, which is not a key vertical for us until now. It's not where we, we focus on retail, health, insurance and then you know things like logistics so it brought an additional set of markets to us now covid's well now we're kind of ignoring covid people are traveling again and therefore the chatbot usage in the travel market is is huge as it is in the e-commerce market so it fits with our insurance play the insurance companies want to make themselves more sticky by having you know frictionless e-commerce online relationships with millennials like yourselves um so you know it, it it just fits into all of that it brought some good people across as well they're they're very very good and it it started as a university project i think about five years ago uh you know and they've built that so that entrepreneurial spirit fits with us as well so culturally it, it's awesome sounds bright sound the future is bright for for lie then yeah, it is. I mean, it's all about acceleration into the markets. But it, I, I always come back to the execution piece, you know, and, and, it, and it's basic economics. If you've got an addressable market, which we believe now is 800 billion. But interestingly enough, in the document processing market on its own, the, the numbers we get from Gartner are 3 trillion, because that is where knowledge workers are working on things that could be replaced by a robot. And that's the wages bill, 3 trillion. So it's going that way. This is going to happen. And I believe that, you know, I've backed the right horse personally and our customers are backing the right horse um, commercially. Wonderful. Well, it was great talking to you, Neil, about all things uh, automation and uh, and RPAs and all the rest of it. So it was great to, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. It was great to have you on the show. Really enjoyed this chat. Thank you very much. You know, if you ever want to speak to somebody who's probably the most enthusiastic person about automation in the world give me a call anytime (laughs) thank you for joining us today neil it's been a pleasure neil was a real pleasure to talk to and you can tell he's really passionate about what he does so if you dear listener are interested to learn more about uh, how LIA can help you, or if you think that they can help you, then stop by LIA.com. That is L-A-I-Y-E.com. We'll leave a link in the uh, description below. So, And we all had fun pronouncing that as well, didn't we? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've noticed, but you're the only one who's had to read it out in this intro and in the outro. So there we go. Oh, there we I go. managed to avoid that. You struggled in the episode, so I thought I'd give you the break. I did struggle in the episode. So, um, yeah, I appreciate that. who do we have on uh, next week's show Uh, next week we have Chris Beavers from NS1 on the show that's really cool isn't it I mean I like NS1 is is great so many of us use NS1 every day and we don't even know it 
In fact, it powers such a huge portion of the web. So uh, Chris is here to tell us all about it. So look forward to that one because it's, uh, it's a pretty big one, I think. Yeah, heavy here, a banger. <laughs> so as usual, do leave us a review. If you enjoyed this episode, do leave us a review. I think you can leave a review per episode on Podchaser. That's a little platform we like to use or on Apple. Any Anything goes. We'll take away we can get, really. Yeah, share it with your friends. Tell your friends. Tell your mates. And also, yeah, if you want to drop us a line on at hello at thattech.show, we're always available on email or all the social platforms you can shake a stick at. We're now up to date with the Instagram. So uh, it's all in chronological order. And now we can just continue to remind people of the um, the episodes as they as they become live. And as Sam mentioned as well, there's that lovely bright yellow banner that's available on thattech.show. And you can click on that and express your interest in seeing us live and in person. Please do. Please do. It will, it will let us know if it's worth putting on. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, I think that's it. So I think we'll see you next week when we're talking with Chris. Leave us a shekel. <laughs> yeah, drop a shekel. And see you next week. Bye.